You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, as we continue to worship this morning, let's uh, start off in a word of prayer. Father God, Lord, we love you. And God, we just pray that this morning as we dive into your text, God, as we just saying that Christ would be magnified, that you would reign supreme, that you would show us what, what we need to see, God, that you would work in our hearts, God, that this morning you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of Christ. God, I pray that we would, uh, this morning, put down our walls, put down our own barriers, God, that we uh, would, just, would just come into uh, a place where we can see you clearly and truly and give you the worship that you so rightfully deserve And so God, this morning, I pray uh, again that you would just allow us to get low before you, that you would allow us to see the glory of Jesus in all of these things, saying, Christ be magnified. I pray that this morning, that uh, that would be our cry and our call as we leave uh, this uh, time together this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray, Uh, amen. Amen. Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. Uh, as we continue uh, this morning in our series of Mark, uh, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 13. We're picking up right where we left off uh, last week. And, and as you get there, uh, I want you to, to think about Jesus. And, and I know that might be like a, a no-brainer. That might be kind of like an odd request. Um, but, but I want you to think about uh, when you first came to Jesus, What were your circumstances in coming to Christ? What did you know and what did you understand about the gospel? How did you come face to face with the reality that that you are a sinner broken and separated from the Lord? That you are a sinner that, that needs to be saved by grace and the only way to reconcile the relationship between you and God is through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and ultimately your confession and belief in him. Like what is what has brought you to, to that point? I mean, the question, like, what were the circumstances behind it? How did he draw you uh, to him, himself? Like, now think, I want you to think, how old were you? And who was instrumental in you coming to the Lord? Um, even if you were older in life, what did you know um, about Christ the moment you got saved? <laughs> and look, I know it's a lot of questions, and I'm not trying to sound like one of those old school detectives with the light in your eye being like, where were you the night of the fifth? I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to do that. But what I'm trying to do is to get us to start to think. I want you to think about what you would say to some of those questions. And so this morning, in, in this particular passage, we're, we're going to see a composite of many short Um, uh, but small, but powerful pictures of a compassionate Jesus who uh, as many times in the gospels actually goes against the culture of the day. And so a Jesus uh, who shows us in witness, uh, for those in witness and us, what it takes and what it means to enter the kingdom of God. So let's read this text this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13, it says this. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them and laid his hands on them. 
And so, look, this is one of the passages in Scripture that is so short and, and so sweet, and sometimes it's, it's too short and too sweet that sometimes we just kind of read it and we go, oh, Jesus loves children, and we kind of like stop there, but we don't, we don't want to do that. We don't want to move on too quick this morning. We want to kind of sit and rest in this text for a little bit, right? I think it's good we take some time this morning and we want to pause on this account. And so we're going to dive into these passages, uh, again, starting at verse 13, and in the reality of this too is, is even reading this text kind of makes me chuckle a little bit because um, back in the day, I used to be, call, uh, be a part of an Easter play called Easter Praise and uh, Jesus was played by yours truly. Um, I don't know how I got that role. I kind of got suckered into it, I think, but I played it nonetheless. Um, in, in those times, right, uh, we would go through the specific gospels and, and uh, I, I lost like 20 pounds every year because, you know, I had to be up in front of the entire church or whoever and uh, be down to the skivvies for the crucifixion scene. And, and I get to grow this awesome sweet beard that my wife makes me shave off every single year after that. Um, so all that work for kind of nothing. Um, but, but we did this scene when we did, through, uh, when we did the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, and I still remember this. This is why it makes me laugh is because it's probably the same picture that you get when you think about this very passage. And it was, they had the big styrofoam rock in the middle of the stage and, and the, the, the lights would come up and here is I sitting in the middle of the stage and, and around me is like a big crowd and all these kids start rushing in and the disciples start pushing them away and whatever else. And, and, I, and I look at them and I'm like, come children, right? It's, it's like this, this picture of like Jesus just tranquilly on a rock and, and nothing's bothering him. Um, and, and look, regardless of, of what the, the situation was, look, even in the midst of, even in that picture, we see a side of Jesus that conveys a very clear and very simple picture. And so this morning, our first point, look, Jesus welcomes both the young and the old into relationship with him. So we look back at verse 13, right? It says they were, they were bringing children to him that, that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them, right? So even as this passage starts, we, we see clearly that, that people were bringing their children uh, to be blessed by Jesus, right? Now, now those who brought him, they, they probably saw Jesus, maybe not as the savior, but probably as a holy man or, or a healer. Um, and, and in some ways, rightfully so, but again, not as savior yet, right? And so they saw him as someone who was working wonders. And look, they wanted their children to experience anything and everything that they could get from the religious rulers of the day. And also Jesus, because they probably heard about what he was doing, the healings that he was doing. And so uh, actually John MacArthur actually notes that it was customary for families uh, during that time to, um, to bring their children and their little ones to be blessed by the elders in the synagogue. And normally this happened uh, the day before atonement, simply so that the atonement, these families would hope that the atonement would apply also to their children. They wanted a blessing of salvation for their children now, very well, this might be the same idea of these, these parents and these families bringing these children forward to Jesus to be blessed by this holy man that somehow it might count in the good graces of God at the, at the end of the day. But regardless of the reason, they were still being brought to Jesus. Look, that's for the families, but I, I imagine even the, the, the idea and the process for these children, um, they might have seen someone who, who is worthy Someone who had the ability to take away disease and to care for them in a mighty way. And you might say, Andy, hold up. How in the world would they know? Well, again, if we believe that the word of Jesus is spreading, right, and it's an oral culture, I guarantee you these children are hearing from their parents or from other people the stories that are being associated with Jesus. 
And so uh, you know, that's the reality. And, and they, they bring then to Jesus and they say, well, if my family or if my parents trust Jesus, uh, well, maybe so should I. And so, uh, but very quickly, we actually see the, the problem at hand. And it, it wasn't um, that their families were, were bringing their children, but it was actually the response of the disciples, right? Uh, it says that they, as they were coming, um, that the disciples rebuked these families and rebuked, the, rebuked these people that were bringing them here, right? Um, that's the problem. It wasn't the families, but it was a response to the disciples. It was more like, it was more like families were trying <laughs> to get their children to Jesus, but had to navigate themselves around some disciples. Um, like, just get this picture of, of the way to Jesus being blocked, right? Uh, there, there, there might be, you know, these people might be getting angry or might, they might be getting annoyed and and look, I mean, sometimes even like going back to the picture, we might see like this picture that the disciples are kid bouncers of oh, keeping kids away from Jesus. They're standing there, arms locked, like you can't come here, right? We might get that idea. Um, like this wasn't security blocking pop, paparazzi from someone famous. It was actually far deeper than that. Like in order to understand why the disciples would rebuke the families for bringing these children, we actually have to understand children in this culture. We have to understand why that rebuke was leveled at these parents. Why, why rebuke them, right? We know that a, a rebuke just wasn't like a, a rude comment or a passive-aggressive comment, but it was like an open scolding, a strong correction. It was a reprimand of these people. It's the disciples looking at parents. Uh, they're like, how dare you even consider bringing your children to this man? How dare you? Right? To how dare you want to enter the presence of, of this holy man? And so disciples, again, that see these children rushing towards Jesus may have seen it as a blatant waste of time, but perhaps they saw them as loud and, and distracting, uh, and that Jesus' mission itself was just far too important to deal with the likes of them. Like, we don't know exactly what it was, but here's the thing the response of Jesus is abnormal for a man of that culture and time, but perfect for a savior. And so look, even for us in this, in this modern context, we, we, we may get what the disciples are trying to do, but we, again, we don't understand why they would act in such an aggressive manner. Like we need to understand, uh, again, children in the antiquity to get the full response. See, in our culture, let's just be real for a minute. In our culture, children and grandchildren are parents and grandparents bragging rights on Facebook. Little Johnny took a step. Look at Johnny run. Look at Johnny play. Look at the picture Johnny drew for him. Right? And it, it becomes this, like that's our culture. They're, they're maybe a vessel for what we live our vicarious lives, right? Uh, uh, they, they command our schedule and our finances. Children are often the recipients of all of our disposable income. Uh, parents, we know that all too well. Um, but that's the reality. Most children in our culture are well-loved and well-cared for. Uh, they're Here's the problem with that, though. They're often turned into idols within our families. Everything we do is revolves around them. All of our lives revolve around them and their needs. Now, look, let's, that's our culture. That's how we're reading this. But let's, let's consider the context of Mark. And within the Roman Empire, children were not highly valued. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, right? They, they, weren't high, they, they had little intrinsic value uh, and little societal value, right? They, they had to get to a place where they're going to be productive in society before we consider them something less than, right? 
And the scary thing is even a lot of parents would actually, and families would raise their children to be something that we would consider vastly uh, horrible in the day. Like they would raise their kids to be prostitutes and gladiators and slaves and things like that uh, within, within the culture, right? Now, again, this wasn't every child in every family, but this kind of was the general sentiment of the day towards, towards children. Children were only valued as they grew and were able to contribute to a larger society. Again, we have to understand this, that this picture is quite different than our modern culture I'm thankful for. And so here we have the, the clash of culture and we have Jesus in the middle of it. And we say, all right, well, what, what's the deal? Like, why isn't Jesus uh, like acting the way these people are? Well, thankfully, he's the perfect father and he's the perfect Lord, right? And so we see like we are uh, to value children the same way that God values children. So the question we have to ask naturally is, so then how does he value children? And we can see as blessings and gifts uh, that are to be brought up in the way of the Lord. We, we see this in Psalm 127. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter six. We see this in Ephesians chapter six. All throughout, the children are blessings and gifts from the Lord to be brought up to pursue the Lord. Right? And, and so in this passage, as, as families were trying to bring uh, their children to Jesus in some way, Parents were actually trying to do the right thing by trying to raise their children in a way that would point them to the Lord, right? And so that's what we begin to see. See, look, at this, we can see right away that Jesus has a special affection for children. And what we can see that even as, as much as the disciples would follow Jesus, right, they, they really weren't there uh, and they hadn't grown to see ch- uh, children the way that Jesus has is seen children in this passage, right? The disciples rebuked the children and the parents um, for, for coming to him. Like, like, don't, like, it's the question of like, don't you know who this man is? Like, don't you know who this, who, like, he is whole, like, what are you doing? And so what Jesus actually does here goes completely against the Judaism of the day uh, that believed that your good, uh, that your good works got you into heaven. They allowed you into the kingdom and actually that children couldn't do that. They, they believed that they were actually incapable of doing that. They believed that children couldn't tell the difference between good and evil. They believe that children couldn't tell the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. Look, quite frankly, in this time period, children weren't even a discussion when it comes to the kingdom of God. We, uh, we see that, that, that they, they believed in this passage that they just couldn't comprehend what was being discussed at the quote-unquote adult table of sorts and that it was just above their head and they were easily dismissed. And in fact, this actually, this thought didn't stop there, but even up until the 15th century, a, uh, a clergyman by the name of John Merck actually is known to be coined the term that children are to be seen, not heard. And so we can see that even the idea of children when it comes to religiosity or when it comes to salvation or the kingdom of God or, or all these different things, they were considered less than, they were considered down on, Right? But even so, like we have to, uh, we're forced to answer uh, two questions as we kind of begin to think through this passage. Here's the first thing. How will you view children? Right, will you view them as an idol? Will you view them as a uh, frustration? Will you view them as a blessing? Like what, what, what lens will you view children as? And here's the second thing. Uh, who are you in this scenario? Are you the children or are you the disciples? Now, again, we're going to kind of come back to that a little bit later, kind of in the back end of this. But I want you to begin to think on those things, right? But again, look, so that's kind of the background. That's what's leading us. That, that's why the disciples responded in the way that they did. 
right? They rebuked them because of, of every cultural understanding that they had that they thought that they were correct. And Jesus completely just smashes that out of the water. I love the response of Jesus in verse 14, right? What's it say? But when Jesus saw it, saw what? Saw the disciples rebuking these parents and these children. When they saw it, he became indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Look, it says clearly, when Jesus saw what was happening, he became indignant. Such, such a powerful word of how to express uh, Jesus' um, reaction and how he was feeling. He was angry and he was annoyed at what he saw. He was indignant. Indignant wasn't an unnoticeable response. It wasn't like an internal anger. It wasn't an internal annoyance. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a thought. It was actually an all-encompassing revolt against who he actually was of just, what are you doing? Like, who do you think you are to prevent them from coming to me? That's not your place. They're coming to me, right? And so we see this, this idea in Jesus' response, and we can see, and this is what we can see in our second point, that the way to salvation is actually level at the feet of Jesus. And I know within our culture, sometimes we, we kind of struggle, like we might acknowledge that on its face, but when it comes to living that out, it's always a different story. We say, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Salvation is leveled at the feet of Jesus, but a lot of times that works itself out in our own lives not to prove true with how we respond. But look, uh, before we go into that, imagine for a second, <laughs> even so, how we feel when we get corrected, whether in private or in public, right? Like when I was a little kid, man, I used to tear through like, like JCPenney or the grocery store or whatever. And when my mom found me, I always joke with her about this. I said, mom, I'm going to get four little crescent tattoos right here on my arm for you would grab me and be like, get in line, right? It's the, it's the, the ear, the, the face of the ear of like, get in line, right? Now, again, that's all, that's all done in jest, right? But um, whether in private or public, it's embarrassing to be, rebu- uh, to be scolded because essentially the disciples rebuke the parents and Jesus rebuked the disciples right in hand. And so we, we see that um, and we have to deal with like, that embarrassment for whatever reasons. We have to deal with our wrongful thoughts and motives and actions and, and all these things, whatever it might be. But think about this. Think about, I mean, even for a second, being openly corrected by Jesus. Like that is, that's a duck and cover movement. That's like, oh, I didn't do anything, right? That, that is a response of like, well, I, I was only doing what he was doing. I mean, I don't, right? It's one of those moments, right? And so what we can see is that the response of the disciples was, was not what Jesus expected, nor what Jesus actually wanted, right? He was indignant about this. American commentator James Edwards actually says this, the object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about that person. Jesus' displeasure here reveals his compassion and defense of the helpless, the vulnerable, and the powerless. I love that quote. See, in the context of verse 14, we are obviously talking about the children. And I always go back to this question, like, who are you in this scenario, right? Um, Now, before anyone freaks out, like, I'm not saying this passage is about us, right? It is not about us. It is about a compassionate Christ calling the children to himself and what simple faith looks like, right? But also, we also sometimes need to evaluate these texts and, how to, and, and ask the question, how do we align our hearts with the Lord in these type of situations, right? Is your heart more reflective of Jesus in this case, or is it more reflective of the disciples in this case, right? Again, we're going to come back to that a little bit later as we dive into our application of this passage, but, but let that settle into your mind again before, before we get there. Now again, Jesus' response, 
I absolutely love it. It was, it was indignation towards the disciples, never the, the children. And even when Jesus says, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven, right? The question is like, who does Jesus actually care about, right? Um, why, why did they come to him? Like, th- these are kind of great, great questions, right? And so we can see, to such belong the kingdom of heaven, the such are the children. The such are the, are the children, and so, so the disciples saw the parents bringing their children as an issue, but Jesus, again, quickly commands them not to hinder them, not to uh, allow them to uh, be hung up, um, uh, but allow the children to come to them. For to, for to such as these, the children are the, are the kingdom of God. And, and again, imagine the questions for the disciples that would come out of that phrase. Wait a minute, like, Jesus, what, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Like, wh- to them? Like, what about me? Right, that's our natural heart process, right? Well, okay, hang on. Wait, what, what, what about me in this, Jesus? Like, I, I am the one that follows you. Like, doesn't the kingdom belong to me as well? Like, wait, don't I follow you? Don't I sit at the campfire with you? Don't I hear your teachings? Don't I share meals with you? Don't I witness your miracles? Like, Jesus, like, wait, to them belongs the kingdom and not to, like, wait, what are you saying? And so I can imagine, just as we would, in that scenario, they start overthinking the question. And they are, start overthinking the scenario and they begin to psych themselves out. Like we, we say, like, what in the world gives? Like, shouldn't this grand kingdom belong to me? And how, notice this, how easy in life, again, I might be reading into the text a little bit there, but, but again, those are the natural questions that I think would come out, out of that conversation. And how often do things go from glorifying God to, wait, what about me? And we begin to confuse some of these things. But I, again, I think, I think it's, it's a fair question. Um, but look, Jesus is not saying that the kingdom of God only belongs to children. He is saying that rather that, to, that those who come to the, the Lord like a child would, that is to whom the kingdom belongs. And so even so, and I, I hate to do this, but even as a quick side note, um, as a quick side note, I need to mention this because it appeared in a few commentaries I've actually consulted in this passage, uh, and that's the area of infant baptism, right? Um, in some circles, this text and similar texts uh, are used to promote the necessity of, of infant baptism. Uh, the understanding is that uh, to be a blessing and to be blessed of which we enter the kingdom of God, children must be baptized, right? And so in, in love, I actually have to say uh, that this text doesn't say that. All right, so the question is, all right, Andy, how do you know that? Well, the first thing is contextually, that contextually it wouldn't fit in the passage and what Jesus was actually doing at that time. See, the only, the only way we can see uh, infant baptism in this text is what's something called eisegesis. And that's when we read our own theological bias and understanding into the text, right? So if someone already has a belief or a theological position that allows for infant baptism— and that that baptism saved, this, reading this text, would say, all right, well, the children, Jesus says don't hinder them, so therefore they are, um, need to be baptized, right? That's not contextually what it says, right? It's contextually not in the text. The, the children here are actually not infants, but, but most likely they're older children, and they can probably walk and talk and all these things because Jesus says, let the children come to me. Obviously, an infant can't walk in, in those ways, um, there's no, no evidence of Jesus' words that would ever hint at baptism in this text. Um, look, I don't want to get hung up on that point, but I, I think that it deserves a quick discussion in the midst of that because I think sometimes uh, we need to have some clear theology, right? But here's what he does say. He says the kingdom of God belongs to such, right? 
belongs to such. Right, so I believe that this is kind of a twofold statement. The first thing is what I see is that it's a compassion uh, in which a father, a mother, a guardian would look at their own flesh and blood. Because if we are all children of God, we are all his flesh and blood. We are all his creation. And so the same way that, that we look at our own children is the same way he looks at us. And that's with compassion and with a caringness that no one else can replicate but the father, the mother, the family. All right. And so that's the, the first thing we begin to see. Like that's his, his compassion there. And the second is actually set up for what he says next. He, he sets up the manner of how we will receive the gospel and ultimately salvation. See, here's our third point. The way to salvation is clear and simple. The way to salvation is clear and simple. Look, let's look at this text. It says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So look, already having invited these these children to come to him, Jesus tells the disciples and the crowd around you, like, I tell you the truth. Or truly I say to you, Literally, it's like, as if he didn't already have their attention, he drives this point home by saying, listen to me, get this point. You don't need to miss this. In fact, listen to what I'm about to say. Get what I'm about to say. Understand me clearly. Whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. And so we, we go, again, I can just imagine the, the, the people that are around going, what? Right? Like, this, is, this flies in the face of the religiosity of the day, right? The, the, the religiosity of the day is, a, is literally a, a works-based work hard, pray hard, don't mess up, sacrifice, follow the law, obey them all, right? That's the idea of the day. And then hope that you're good enough, that you can be with the Lord. And see, in some ways, this still sounds like where a lot of us find ourselves. Well, I know it's all about Jesus, but as if, you know, it's a little extra on top if I just pray a little bit more or read my Bible a little more or like do some good things a little bit more. That's not necessarily the case. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. See, Jesus' words here actually flips all of that on his head. Like, so, so what is he saying? Like, he's saying we receive salvation uh, as a child would. Simple. And non-complex. Look, he's, like, he's not saying, he's saying this. Come to me as a small child and understand what they understand about me. Right? So, they don't know everything about theology or the Trinity, the personhood of God, the solas, the reformation, right? They, they, they don't know much about the fullness, fullness of creation. They know little about the spirit and they know little about suffering. Right? But what do they know? They know that they have sinned and that only Jesus forgives. Simple, not complex. They understand that Jesus loves them enough to give them a way back to a rightful relationship with God. See, at their core, actually all children want to, want to please their parents and, and none of them want to be cast away from them. Uh, they, they want to be embraced in protection. Children want the affection uh, of their parents, just as a parent wants the affection of their child. Look, even in the most painful moments, right, the desire for forgiveness and understanding and acceptance and affection are evident, right? And so those who are in relation with God have childlike characteristics, right? 
We don't, we don't stay children uh, because there actually is an expectation of spiritual growth. Where do we see that, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 11. There is an expectation of spiritual growth. However, at the core, uh, that's, we, we, just, we still desire the attention of our Father and, and we yearn for someone to listen to us, to embrace us, and to speak compassionately towards us. So at the start, we're not understanding everything, but we know enough that we do understand the majors. Look, when he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it, he's saying that those who are in relationship with God have childlike characteristics. They have childlike characteristics. But yes, they still grow in maturity and in faith. See, look, if Jesus is saying uh, that, the, that the characteristics of a child, uh, those who have those characteristics, enter the kingdom of God, so what, what does he mean? Like, what are those characteristics? Look, and that's the thing. Like, what do many children have by way of, of character? And this is where we always use words like innocence. Well, they, they, they come to God by way of their childlike innocence. Um, but here's the, here's the reality. Let us be ra- reminded that, that children are not innocent. Children still carry the, st- the, the stain of sin that you and I carry. They're born with it. It's in, this word theologically is called imputed. Like it's given to them whether they want it or not. So as we, as we exit our mother's womb, we still hold the stain of sin. So he's not talking about innocence here. It's not saying come as an innocent child. Right? So children, too, need the blood of Jesus to save them. And now I, I know this opens up a whole water gate of well, what happens to young children when they die. And I say to you that's tragic and that is heartbreaking. But I also say that there is mercy and hope and we live in, a, uh, in the reality of a compassionate Jesus. But that's also a, another sermon for a different day. That's, that's a deeper issue um, if you do want to dive deeper into this issue sooner rather than later, I'd encourage you to pick up a book by John MacArthur called Safe in the Arms of God, and it'll really walk you through that. But for this morning, that answer will have to suffice. I'd encourage you to dig deeper into that, but we rest on the compassion and the love of a perfect father in, in the midst of that, right? So, but look, um, that's, that's the reality. Like, it, it's a great source for that very question, so that book. Um, but in this text specifically, Jesus isn't talking about innocence. He is actually talking about having a simple faith, right? Even though that, that child and adult are sinner alike, Jesus actually clearly states uh, that, they, that children are the better example of how to come into Christ's kingdom. And so what traits do, do these children have? If it's not innocence, then, then what is it, right? What traits? How about insignificance and humility, trustfulness, things like weakness, helplessness, dependency. Hear me when I say this. Literally every single trait that I just listed off are the traits that we all hate about ourselves and that culture hates about ourselves. We don't want to be insignificant. We struggle with humility, right? We don't want to be weak. We are slow to trust. We we don't want to be helpless. We don't want to be dependent, right? All of these things go against our own pride. And in, in, in our culture, we, we view these things uh, as negative attributes. And so, 
And so we understand that uh, all these things, uh, the, the, the path of salvation through Jesus is simple and clear. Well, let's add these two words. Let's make it simple and let's make it clear. The first one is receive. The gift of God is received by us simply, and it's only by receiving this gift that we can actually enter the relationship of God. Now, the, here's the thing. Like, how does a child receive even the most simplest of gifts? Right? If you really, if you really want to know, try this experiment. After worship this morning, tell your child or your husband or your best friend or whoever, right? Um, tell them that you have a gift for them. Say, it's nothing big. It's just something that I had in my heart that I want to give to you. Say, I'll give it to you in a little bit. I just want you to wait. I want you to wait until how long it's going to take the child, the husband, or the best friend to say, uh, hey, about that gift, right? Do you, I mean, the patience level would probably be zero, right? And so they're going to be there every five seconds asking for it. And see, look, how do they receive these gifts? Children in, in particular receive these gifts with eagerness and expectation, Right? They, they receive them that they, they can't wait and they can't wait until you give it to them. It's like a Christmas morning type of experience, even on the very little things. They'll, they'll sit there and they'll, they'll imagine what it could be, even though it might be small. You've told them it's not big, but they'll sit there and imagine what could it be? Their, their minds, will, seriously, their minds will run free like a kid who first walks in the gates of Magic Kingdom for the first time. Like they don't care how it works. They just know that it works, Right? The gate's open. They're walking in. They don't care how the hot dog or the ice cream gets there. They don't care how the fireworks are coming out through the, the, the castle. They don't care that the characters really aren't the character. Right? They don't care about that stuff. What do they care about? That it is working. Right? And so they receive this blessing. They receive the salvation through the Lord. And here's the second thing. And actually it's the one I actually think gets overlooked more than receive. And it's actually believe. So again, simple and non-complex. Receive, believe. Children receive, but then children actually believe. And hear me when I say this. I believe uh, that this includes repentance. When you believe, you, it includes repentance. You, you can't believe without repentance. You cannot believe without repentance. Repentance in the, in the most simplest of terms, in the most basic elementary broken down words of you're sorry for what you've done and you don't have a desire to do it again. You want to please your father, your mother, your family. That's the most basic version of repentance, but guess what? That's a concept children understand. And so when Jesus says, like, like, don't hinder them. Like, to them belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I'm going to say to you, if you don't receive the kingdom of God, like the understanding and the, the, simpli the simplicity and the non-complexity of a small child, like, you're going to miss the entire thing. And so here's the, here's the thing about this. Have you ever tried to argue with a child who actually swore up and down that they were right? Belief, Right? The, where you show them there's no shred of evidence that you, you can disprove uh, what their mind has actually decided. Now, this is like good news and this is bad news, right? The bad news is they will fight you tooth and nail, right? If, you, if they swear that they are right, right? There's no evidence you can show them to, to prove to them that they might be wrong. 
Even when they come to the conclusion that they are wrong, they're not going to admit it sometimes. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll turn their head and they'll do like the, the well, whatever. Only to later on change their facts when you're having the same discussion 15 minutes later because that's how conversations with kids go sometimes, right? But here's the, here's the good news. When, when we think we are right and we try to prove them wrong, they in turn will stand their ground. Look, I, I cannot tell you how many dinosaurs apparently I do not know, right? It's either a thisosaurus or I'm wrong. It's a thatosaurus, right? I, I have no idea, right? I don't know how many, uh, uh, how many dinosaurs that my, my oldest son is, is convincing me that I'm wrong about, that he is right about, which he probably is right, right? Um, but he, he knows the truth and he doesn't let me win no matter what, quote, evidence I put before him because he knows for a fact that he is right. So the question for you is how often is someone or something trying to talk you out of your simple, non-complex understanding of the salvation of Christ? Right? How well in those manners have you stood your ground? See, Jesus makes it clear that, that it's going to be simple, childlike faith that sustains us. And just, just like children do. Right? Jesus makes it clear that it's going to uh, be simple um, and they will, and children will grow to understand more and more regarding the Lord and the scriptures. Look, but that comes later. My, my fear is that too many of us in church um, we look at our faith as an intellectual exercise rather than actually a simple coming to Jesus. We, we say it's all about the head knowledge and we forget that it's simply remembering that all of this starts with a childlike faith and a simple obedience to Jesus. It's terrifying that some of our churches are packed with people who can recite to me Romans but don't understand obedience to Jesus. That should concern us. And so look, we have come to know and understand what this looks like. Simple, non-complex. And look, on the same, same side, what we have come to know and what we have come to understand about God, look, is not the pinnacle of our faith. The pinnacle of our faith is simplicity and understanding that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Look, that's simply where it starts. That's simply where it starts. The head knowledge doesn't matter until your heart has been transformed by the reality of the gospel. So know this. Nowhere in the text also does Jesus say children are already in the kingdom, okay? But rather they exemplify the manner of which we enter the kingdom. Yes, it's clear because of the cultural flipping of this scenario. We know that God loves children we can read his character about children all throughout the scriptures. We know that he loves children. But know this. They still too need to come to confession and belief in him. And it's done simply. Receive and believe. Now, let's look at verse 16 quickly. It says this, and, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Right? So he took them into his arms. Like this short dialogue, like, Imagine verses 14 and 15, this short dialogue kind of stopped the children in their tracks for a moment. 
Children who, listen to this, children who already feel alienated in their own culture are stopped by the disciples only to hear Jesus' response and explanation about how all of mankind must come to the Lord and then, and then he embraces them. That is such a perfect, beautiful picture. Imagine that comfort if you were standing before him. Those 10 seconds that felt like an eternity only to be greeted with a hug and an embrace. See, Jesus looked at the crowd and and welcomed the children, showing them that he was a man of action and expectation. Jesus touched them. See, the Pharisees would never touch them. They didn't want to take the chance of of becoming defiled, but Jesus is open arms saying, come to me. And so I see a picture in this moment. I see a picture of Jesus getting low, eye to eye with these children, getting low and welcoming them into his arms. And get this, look, this is a micro picture of the gospel that Jesus left his high place to come down to see us eye to eye. This is a picture of what he has done for humanity. This is how we can see and know his true intentions. And so look, at the end, Jesus uses this lesson for those around and even us to to be reminded what it looks like to be true disciples of Jesus and what it looks like to have simple yet uncomplex salvation in Christ. He picked up the children, such a beautiful gospel picture. He, he brings us to his level, those who have not earned anything, but because of his love, it drives him to action. And so we see this. So, so from this text, from this text, let's quickly look at two application points uh, that we can better align our hearts with that of Jesus. So here are these two application points. Here's the first one. Ensure that I am not a hindrance to those coming to Christ. If you remember those questions that I asked you earlier, this is where I begin, this is where we begin to focus on those kind of questions. This, unfortunately, the hindrance to people coming to Christ is done in many ways in our church culture, right? All I'm gonna say here is that God's expectations uh, allow us to seek and accept Christ, not ours. It's his expectations. It's about his standards, not our standards. Our standards sometimes actually supersedes uh, even what we think Jesus demands, and that's not true. We make salvation about going through us, right? In the gospel, we see, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, through Jesus. But sometimes we, we have a tendency to make it through us and through our expectations. Well, you're, you're just not ready to accept yet, so you, know, you, you need to understand more. What's that even? That, that's contrary to what Jesus actually says. He says, simplicity, receive, believe. Yes, we grow from there, but that's where we start. Some of us like to put the cart before the horse in our theological lens, in our theological understanding of salvation, right? So here's the thing. If someone's salvation story doesn't look the way you think you should, we must ask, does it look the way that God says it should, right? Let us not be quick to forget that once we knew little to nothing about theology or all the components of what comes next, right? We knew that we were sinners in need of a savior. We have to, as, as people, in order not to become a hindrance, we have, to, uh, we have to maintain a posture of humility in the whole process. If someone needs correcting, fine. Correction is biblical, but it must be done in love and compassion and humility. If someone needs growth, let us teach and let us encourage in that same way. Let us be reminded that, that it's simple faith, not by knowledge, not by works or anything else that we enter the kingdom of God. Here's the second thing. 
I need to continually find ways to point children toward Jesus. So look, isn't it great that we have a kids ministry and a student ministry at our church? Hey, yeah, right? Isn't it great? Look, I find that pretty convenient, okay? Um, I obviously say that kind of tongue in cheek, but look, both these ministries within our church exist simply to intentionally come alongside the family as a resource and a partnership and an encouragement for parents and families that we could point their children towards Jesus. We don't exist to do it for you. We, we do it to exist to come alongside you. And so we, we want to encourage, but also we also ask that people would be thinking of ways that they can consistently be pouring into children within our church, whether it's your child, a grandchild, or someone that you know within our church. Listen to this. Southern uh, Nazarene University a few years ago actually did a study about when people actually received salvation and came to the Lord. They found that between ages 4 and 14, 85% of people made their confession of faith. Between the ages of 15 and 30, the additional 10% made their initial confessions of faith. That means between the ages of 4 and 30, 95% of all people who would ever believe in Jesus will put their faith and trust in him in those ages. So it is important to pour into our children and our students. Organizations like Barna, Lifeway, International Bible Society, they all agree with those stats. Look, if Jesus values young people, we should too. All right? he, he doesn't get scared of them. He doesn't get tired or worn out of their weird stories. He, he's not afraid of their little sassy attitudes or remarks. Right? He's not worried about all this stuff. He comes and he welcomes them and they respond accordingly. And so after all, I'm going to encourage you, after all this COVID stuff is over and we're meeting together in the ways that we can, I'd encourage you, find a way to plug in and disciple and mentor a young person at our church whether it's joining kids ministry, whether it's joining student ministry, it's not babysitting. It is intentionally investing into the lives of our children and our students and their families. I might be kind of biased as your student pastor, uh, but that's okay because the text supports what I'm saying, right? But look, as we think on this text this morning, let us consider and rejoice first in our own salvation. And if you haven't accepted the Lord yet, I hope that you heard this morning, it's not about all you do, It's not about how good you think you are. It's about a Lord who has already come to you. It's about a God who's already left his throne in heaven. He's already walked this earth. He's already paid the penalty of sin and death that you and I owe. And then he says, look, I'm going to tear down all the barriers. I'm going to make it simple. I'm going to make it easy that you would see who I am, that you would see your sin that you would see your separation and that Jesus is your way back to rightful relationship with the Lord. He offers you a way to him, a way that involves simple faith and a way that involves an abundance of mercy. Let's pray. God, you are good. God, you are worthy, you are holy. God, even in such a simple text, there's so much that's packed into here. And so, God, I just pray that you uh, would be glorified, God, that in the midst of this, that, that we would follow you wherever you would take us, 
that it wouldn't be about us. It wouldn't be about our own standards. It would be about you. It'd be about understanding that, that in this account, in this text, that you are the one who offers a simple way that you don't demand all these grandiose things up front, God, but you come and you say, come to me. And it's by the simplicity of a child that you will see the kingdom of God. So God, I pray that you would begin to transform hearts. You would begin to tear down walls and barriers of everyone making excuses about why it's too hard or, or they're just not ready. God, I pray that today would be their day that they would come to you. God, we love you and we worship you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.